0: Hello and welcome to this week of the movies. I'm Matt and I'm Eric and if the light has gone out of my eyes for a second straight week, that's just because the Broncos are currently playing. Well, they're currently in a game. I'm not even going to qualify. What they're doing is playing at this point in time. Uh, Eric noted last week it looked like I got sad in the middle of our review, and that was just about the time the Raiders punched it in to take a 17-16 win. Fortunately, I can just start sad this week because the Commanders have come from being down 21-3 to being up 28-24. And Sean Payton may, you know, just up and retire again at the end of this game. So I know you came here for Broncos hot stove, but if, uh, if I look sadder than I am in the middle, it's not because of this movie because Eric, our movie this week, we both enjoyed more than consensus.
1: Like it's okay if you're sad because for some reason there's this streak of movies that by any other year would probably be forgettable or mid and what's happening. Like they, like I keep getting struck. Poirot like, is
0: haunted by the ghosts of children. I'm just haunted by the ghosts of Bronco's seasons past. So, you know. <laughs> we are looking this week at A Haunting in Venice, which is the third film that Kenneth Branagh has directed and starred in as Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot. Another mystery, this one um, set in 1947, just post World War II, and that does actually factor into the emotional state, not only of Poirot, but of some of the other characters. Uh, It's set in Venice and it's set on Halloween or All Hallows Eve, where Poirot is recruited by his friend and American novelist Ariadne Oliver, played by Tina Fey, to come and observe a medium that she hopes he will be able to debunk. They go to a house that uh, apparently was a haunted venue where some children uh, suffered greatly at the hands of doctors and nurses. And I don't think the movie ever made enough about that, actually, them discovering that that was probably true. Uh, But the main is uh, Kelly Riley, who plays a star of the stage, uh, a pretty well-to-do woman whose daughter had died the previous year under mysterious circumstances, hoping that the medium, played by Michelle Yeoh, was going to make a connection but as you might imagine just like when you invited angela lansbury to a party in the 80s things don't go well when hercule poirot shows up there is indeed a murder and he has to solve it eric this is the third time he's played the character uh you know people probably have some mixed feelings about this but how did you feel about a haunting in venice
1: well first of all uh I want to talk about the things I did not know. I did not know the victim. I did not know the killer. I did not know that this is not based. It's based on a book that is titled. If I remember. Something about Halloween.
0: Like the party Halloween.
1: Oh, I had it right there.
0: Sounds like it's Charlie Brown. It was something like a Halloween party. or
1: Halloween party.
0: And, and. But it's got very British, you know it's got the U for Hall- Halloween and it has an apostrophe in a place that I just don't think it belongs.
1: <laughs> and it's, it's so interesting to me that this might be the most adapted of all three of the movies. And yet it has the least amount of melodramatic theatricality from the three entries in the franchise. And I loved that. And I will have to get into that more when I talk about the other ones. But like Kelly Riley, for example, ah, uh, she was like an underrated player in the two Sherlock Holmes, uh, Guy Ritchie movies, and she's been in Yellowstone and a couple of other things. Like I, I was pleasantly surprised by her Not whole just performance. Just
0: Yellowstone. She's she is Yellowstone.
1: Yellowstone. Okay. Yeah, she's fantastic. And really, honestly, everyone is fantastic. I still still don't think Kenneth Branagh is giving quite enough play to the performers he brings to the table they all keep consistently proving that they know their characters and they are seasoned performers but they they just they either get like one moment to shine and then they're all just part of an ensemble and it's just but here's the thing in this movie Poirot was and this was handled in, in a lot, a lot more like tactfully, I think, than in previous installments. It really is about him, and Kenneth Branagh is an outstanding actor, and it's easy to forget that when he keeps making projects that feel like vanity projects that don't feel earned. But I, I, I love the tone. This is definitely a horror movie. If you consider movies in which horrific things happen, horror movies. Like some people want to sort of. I don't know if it's exactly gatekeeping, but just say it's a murder mystery. So it doesn't quite count because it's not this and that or whatever. But um, no, I think it's pretty hard to deny. <laughs> like it's at least a supernatural thriller and um, the it's just Tina Fey as a character that's written like deadpan sort of American and like kind of cracking down uh, Poirot's ego in replace of book from the last two installment in- and, from the last two installments uh fantastic just it's really hard to not get into spoilers when you're talking about this but the mystery itself not the most revolutionary thing in the world the filmmaking and the balance of treating the characters and the mystery as important as the film making like the framing and all this sort of thing, it's exactly what I wanted after the other two movies. And it may be my favorite out of the three just for that. So I'm gonna give it one thumb up. One thumb up, not two.
0: He, he started to go high and I was like, but well, you really liked it a
1: lot more. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I just keep forgetting. I gotta rate it eventually, right? Yeah, that's yeah.
0: Well you've been conditioned not to rate things, so uh um. Yeah, I don't. I I would go so far as to say it's more of a ghost story than than the other ones. But I don't know if I think of it as as a horror movie exactly. Um, It's still predominantly, uh, you know, a murder mystery. um, But you have death, and you have those elements in all kinds of murder mysteries of that type uh, that play with different tones. And this one doesn't really go. Dark enough for me to to classify it as a horror movie, like being a being a ghost story, I would say. But there there was more um, playful interplay and exchanges. You hit on Tina Fey; it really reminds me of the kind of only murders in the building vibe uh, that you have, and she actually is is on that too. Um, you know, they had a lot of kind of back and forth and like guffawing. Um, that you just wouldn't get necessarily Uh, it just didn't feel dark enough for me to classify as a horror ghost story yes um
1: what is your threshold because like what is missing you know that would be in a horror movie like i i I couldn't think of how to push it darker without turning things into an outright tragedy which it kind of is like
0: but there isn't even really a supernatural element. There isn't, like, a... Well, no, once once they get to the end and they kind of yeah. debunk everything, they sort of strip the... They strip the trappings down, you know?
1: It's just really hard to not it's, give spoilers yeah. and things. Because so that's, well, that's the thing. You, you I, get all of the play of... Of ghosts and 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 murder and and the death of children and all of these things, what it turns out to be in retrospect, I would say well, like if you knew everything in advance, you wouldn't believe your. So they, if they leaned movie, more right?
0: into the mythology of that place and actually mm-hmm. definitively proving it, like they have one scene where they go down there and the bodyguard almost in a toss away says, "Oh, I guess that really did happen." Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they don't really find a ton. Of evidence and that really doesn't end up being a factor in anything you know other than people thought of it as a weird haunted house you had you know the kid that maybe was trying to be his best Haley Joel Osment but they don't really explore that totally um you know like I wouldn't even I don't necessarily think of The Sixth Sense as a horror movie either I think you can have a ghost story that is the horror is what's happening in denver right now (laughs) i I mean you
1: can have you viscerally like you
0: because i just
1: okay flashes of my
0: life i am giving this one thumb up too i i actually i think in all of them he's done a decent job of creating like a moody um setting this had one of my favorite kind of cold opens. You know, you've had a cold open in all of them, famously, Murder on the Orient Express. Um, you know, he calls out the policeman that called him out there, but the you have a lot of time with him like measuring eggs and steps and poo and decides he needs to do it with both feet so everything's balanced. I mean, those those were meant to show you ticks. This you're seeing like a different, like a poro who wants to close himself off from the world. You have that funny sequence of the bodyguard sort of bodying, literally bodying people out, but it was really quick. By 15 minutes into the movie, you are in to that house and into the main and i don't know if we've always gotten there as quickly this was probably one of the most economical of his films in terms of use of time it's i think it's officially listed as 104 minutes but it's really before you hit the credit sequence that's just a lot of glamour shots of venice from above it's like an hour and 35 minutes it's a tight you know and the mystery part is really under 90 minutes it's a tight mm-hmm. tightly framed um and it moves at a good pace i think he picked up a little bit from some of the others not that they were overly long but uh, it was a little more condensed i like that and i loved some of the moody shots of the city some of the establishing shots some of the ways that they really brought 1947 venice to life
1: he um loves his dutch angles he loves his
0: you know what that's fine with me i i liked some, <laughs> i liked some of those things in the other movies too uh i would agree with you he did, like michelle yo is the reigning best actress winner i you don't really uh not to ruin this but she does not have the screen time you're kind of expecting based on the trailer mm-hmm. um meanwhile you've got like his bodyguard almost being a co-lead and not that that guy was bad, but I mean, yeah, it's, they go through a murderer's row of actors in the trailer and they're not all a huge part of uh,
1: what's going on. And, and and sort of the, the beats of the reveal of like this happened and this happened and this happened. I, it's that's to me, the most engaging and successful part of this is Poirot's journey of, of daring the world to prove to him that there is, like, life to explore. That even, like, the darkest parts of what people can do can prove something good. And, yeah, that's, like, the thing for me. Like, the rest of it, I, I would be I just, interested to see... I feel like
0: he almost wants to treat this role as his shot at, like, a because sherlock holmes has been done and that's been such a catalyst for you had robert downey jr on film benedict cumberbatch in the incredible tv series which was basically four short film you know four not even short they're 90 minutes they're basically four films per clip you know to kind of establish themselves as this really eccentric leading you know genius and I don't know if other versions, you know, I've seen a couple of other versions. They've had some people that have played it on PBS and other things. Elementary Poro is, pretty is underrated. Yeah, I mean, of Poirot.
1: Oh, of Poirot! Oh my gosh, the BBC.
0: And yeah he wow. he often is a little more um, understated, more like a um, like Peter Falk, Columbo, or Angela Lansbury, Murder She Wrote, than the way that they've kind of then the, the kind of grandstanding you usually get from Sherlock Holmes. And I feel like that's one thing you, you mentioned, he doesn't seem like he makes the most of his supporting cast. And that's because I think he never wants it to diminish that Poro has to be the smartest person, not just in that room, but in any room. And has to be like the big focal point and, you know, where, where you're having these interview sequences, even, where uh, you know i thought jamie dornan had a fairly beautiful scene where he's giving the backstory for his character which was very emotionally rich and a great performance but you almost quickly have to cut away to that because poro is choked up about something and needs to have like a ghost experience in a small bathroom
1: <laughs> that yeah that's like so that's you so just weird. didn't
0: you, so those are some of the places where I think that keeps it from being something where we're like an enthusiastic thumb up or maybe yeah. even a mild two. But I am like you, I think this might be my favorite of the three probably because of the way it's structured and because you do get some more personality, you at least do get that really emotional um, few moments from Dorn. And he, he really maximizes his time on the screen. And I liked what we got from Tina Fey and some of the way that she was able to go back and forth even Michelle Yeoh made the most of her her sequences so you know i thought it was enjoyable and it was definitely what i was expecting if you like that kind of this kind of genre i think it's going to hit home for you if you dislike this kind of genre probably the tropes are not going to work for you and i think that's where some people have been Yeah. Not wild.
1: Like it it, it hangs itself out to be an easy punching bag. You can find problems with it if you're looking for it. So uh, yeah, I, I can't blame people who like want more from their theater going experience or anything.
0: But clearly he's having fun and the people that he's able to recruit are having fun doing these things or else you wouldn't get these kind of star studded casts. And fortunately no one, in this cast created any off the uh, off the screen problems, uh, unlike <laughs> his two previous installments, uh, which we will get to here in a minute, but do you have any closing thoughts about uh, your Venice haunting?
1: Well, and it's sort of a transition thing. I think, uh, I think where the first movie focuses on Poirot and the black and white of right and wrong morality. The second one focuses on love and everything good and bad about it this third one focuses on belief and like kind of faith in a way that is like, it's the opposite of how overly on the nose, something like death on the Nile is like it. It, this this story just gets to breathe in a way that I think it breathes quickly. So it's satisfying, but yeah, that's, I just, that might be why it's my favorite of the
0: three. Well, we mentioned this is uh, the third of these Poro films. We are going to go before we get out of here and take a look at the other ones. The first one that came up was Murder on the Orient Express, which is probably her most famous novel, has been done and redone a bunch of times. As you can see, this one had uh, Penelope Cruz, Judy Dench, Johnny Depp, who unfortunately started having... uh, his back and forth with Amber Heard started like right before this came out. Daisy Ridley in a non-Star Wars role. Um, Willem Dafoe. I
1: think.
0: Yeah. Well, it was definitely her most high profile non- non-Star Wars role. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Olivia Coleman didn't even make the poster, which kind of tells you where they were at Michelle Pfeiffer in here. So this one came out in 2017 you know all the action confined to uh the train you know and this train trip through kind of a snowy um snowy passage and of course there is a a murder because uh much like when you invite jessica fletcher to your to your town you know somebody's got to die for the privilege of having her there and that is uh kind of poro's role wherever he goes here um I I remember liking this one uh, decently when it came out. I was pretty excited about the idea of making it a- in the star-studded cast. I think as I look back, though, it it might be the weakest of the three for me.
1: You're waiting on my input? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um the thing about I was like obsessed with the idea of this coming out because this was pre Infinity War, right? We were at the height of a machine that was some people would talk about superhero burnout, but really the machine was steamrolling towards a climax. And blockbusters, mega blockbusters are becoming this big thing. And all of a sudden, you get the promise that this completely off the wall, where it's more of a human character drama, but they're going to put. The budget of a blockbuster behind it i was like whoa and and i hadn't yet at the time i would seen like uh kenneth bronick's frankenstein and hamlet and you know he'd done thor but i hadn't seen enough of a balance tip for me Should to be I like have have the any-
0: most ideal fit for the marvel cinematic universe for being honest yeah
1: <laughs> um again dutch angles but um yeah, I I just, it seemed like such a, a thing that stuck out as like, this could be really cool if it gains traction. But the thing about it is it is murder on the Orient Express, which is probably the most singularly interesting resolution to a murder mystery that I can think of. Like, if you're going against the grain of find the killer... I don't think there's anything more jarring that you can get out of it. And then you have the BBC rendition and the 1970s classic version of the movie. And people have read the book. And it's like, how are you going to make this something fresh and makes this a version that people want to go back to? And their answers seem to have been theatricality. Like... The, the vistas of the mountain and them trapped there and stage everyone like it's the last supper painting at the end. And so much like, and I, I did not buy into that. I thought the performances were so interesting and a lot of the dialogue was sharp in a way that still felt like the characters weren't all just like Aaron Sorkin sort of quick witted. I love Aaron Sorkin, but the characters still felt unique in themselves. And I just, I just, it just is is too like the very beginning to me. It's like it feels like a Bugs Bunny cartoon to me. It goes that far to where it's like, and I figured him out, and I tripped him up, and another classic adventure is wrapped up, and I'm like, well, if this story is supposed to go as dark as I know it's supposed to go, like what are we doing? And um, that's the thing though is I I enjoyed it enough. And then I really felt like watching it again, and then I enjoyed it enough that I really felt like watching it again. And I was just—I have it. Like I was just like, it's not—it's not like it's the greatest thing. I really wish I could get the BBC *Murder on the Orient Express*. There is something so powerful in that performance, and and like I want like a copy of that to be able to watch or know where to stream in When I can probably get it on Amazon, but um, yeah, this this wasn't a huge winner for me. But I was still, like, super pro, let's do this in movies. Let's put money behind stuff like this. And uh, But this is not my weakest of the three.
0: I'm guessing for you, then, it it must be the next one. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I like it, okay. I have them all about the same. I own (laughs) Orient Express. And the next one, which was 2021's Death on the Nile, which... Was kind of a fraught production, I would guess, because it was originally supposed to come out in the fall of 2020, which, of course, we all know the pandemic hit uh, and that hooked things and then uh, right about the same time. Uh, as they were looking at options for bringing it back we had the sort of scandal and fallout with army hammer and he had already done this a lot of people were like well why don't they just replace him well the movie had been shot i mean it's not like it was an ongoing production which was the right. case with some of the ones he was involved in i still like the cast i like the setting um it's kind of an interesting novel uh, I, you know, had started reading this one when we went in to go watching it. I don't know if it was the right kind of role for Gal Gadot, um, but they certainly really leaned into the fact that she was a big part of the cast, owing to the fact that Wonder Woman, you know, remains super popular. Um, but I liked the, the mystery. I liked the setting. I liked some of the visuals in this movie. Um, I thought worked. I see, probably feel differently. Um, well, but, you know, I I go back and forth, whether I like Orient Express or this one better. Um, to me, they're about the same. And that's why I think, you know, I can clearly feel like I liked Venice the best. But I think they're all do somewhat similar things.
1: I, I think... There's a there's murder on the Orient Express, and then Death on the Nile goes like in this weird direction, and Haunting in Venice goes in this weird direction, and I I don't 100 know how to explain this other than if the if the thing is a murder mystery and it's character driven story, you have a balance between theatrics and visuals and performances and drama, and I think in Murder on the Orient Express things tip too far in favor of visuals and theatrics. And I think in Death on the Nile, they crank up the visuals and the theatrics more, but they crank up the performances and drama in in a sort of theatrical way more. And in a weird way, that sort of makes it all work together. Like they're not opposed to one. Like spending time looking at the mountains isn't detracting from the romance between Daisy Ridley and and her partner, you know, like there's, there's not quite that. Um, And it's a, it's a more focused mystery because of the nature of what that story is versus murder on the Orient express. My issue is the hyper extremes is less of what I find interesting. And the stuff that strikes well with me in this series are the human elements that feel accessible and naturalistic. So that's the reason for me that even though this one might work better for what they're going for, this is the lowest of the three for me. And I, it didn't really start to strike a chord with me until the third act when he confronts book that moment, those two characters, they resonate Kenneth Branagh and, and, and Tom Bateman, that their play off of one another is a, a huge core of what made that movie in particular work and yeah i i was uncomfortable a little bit from the beginning watching how army hammer was playing and i there's just emma Mackey was fantastic latisha wright uh was fantastic uh russell brand was i thought very good i i always kind of find him another like a...
0: problematic dude <laughs>
1: well you know i I, what he's up to right now i don't think he's that interested in being like a big name in hollywood or anything but you know to get to just play this character and stick to it and to watch him pull that off it was successful i thought and it wasn't like jarring to me to see him it's like if that's russell brand he's not trying to play aldous snow or anything and uh rose leslie like she was great like like and Sophie, I don't know how to say her last name. Okinado. I think Yeah, I think
0: it's Okineado.
1: But um she's amazing. And as like a as like a a figure in Poirot's life, but she doesn't quite get to be, I think, a fully realized person of her own. And but that's just like that's the thing. That's the melodrama. Like, why does Poirot's captain have to have his mustache? And that's why he has that mustache why why can't it just be that his face got messed up and so that's why he has the mustache and his captain got to be his captain like is he he's a constant living homage to that man like is that what like it's and i it kind of does emotionally work to think like different things love can be See, he I can kind have, of like
0: i kind of enjoyed the second one where you learn more about poirot
1: yeah, like everything about him in that movie was very like accessible and and really worked. And, and so you know, but I started I started to have things like everything was so over the top in this movie that I started to question things I don't normally question. Like, okay, they're alone on a boat and uh, Poirot is having private conversations with one on one, like everybody. I mean. Why Why wouldn't the killer just shoot Poirot, throw him overboard? You know, like, what are we doing? Like, the, there's...
0: It wasn't been... in the script.
1: Right, yeah. Like, <laughs> in Murder on the Orient Express, there's nowhere to go. You're not going to survive, you know? Like, and, and also there's other complications that come with that, but you can understand why someone wouldn't show themselves or risk revealing themselves in haunting in Venice. There are other outstanding motivations why someone wouldn't want to risk exposing themselves, you know, or bring more and more attention. Like you're, you're waiting until dawn to be able to like be free in this one. I just I the, normally I don't care because I don't have time to think about it and human beings aren't perfect and don't always think of things either so I don't mind but uh, this this did that it's just it's just a little too far of a step and 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 this isn't really the movie's fault but a lot of the green screen did not work for me mm. just because of the recognizable like we're in front of the great pyramids and we have to capture all this stuff that it's way harder to capture on location and it was filmed before the pandemic. So I, I I can't even credit that to social distancing issues and whatnot. Like it's, it's recognizable. So I just, I just think there are slightly too many problems and it's slightly too theatrical for what I'm looking for. And then haunting in Venice just kind of perfectly settles into like, being dramatic, but in like a spooky way, and like you know, it does a thing. So yeah, no, no real hate on the movie. Uh, again, kind of like haunting in Venice. I think you can find reasons to dislike these movies,
0: and plenty have.
1: Yeah, like, but it's just like I, I just my whatever I tell my body, it enjoys them when I'm watching them.
0: So, so let me ask you: Do you think there will be more?
1: I hope so. I, I, cause I feel like he's learning and I feel like each installment is unique. And I feel like, especially the way Tina Fey's character was written and performed, he showed a lot of insight on how people are kind of shifting on the, it's almost become a trope of having your eccentric detective who is like robot minded and is, you know, questionably on uh, the autism spectrum or doing this and that. And there's, I think he's kind of grounding things a little more and he's trusting himself to be the lead more in a way that works. I just, if he made a fourth one and he picked a story that has just a slightly smaller roster of characters like A Haunting in Venice and just gave the characters a little more time, like trust the actors and, and, and there was something more human about the way they relate to one another. Like I just think it would get better and better. And I'm all for seeing unique detective stories. I mean, we've got, we've got, um, Ryan Johnson, who done it's on the table. I'm okay with there being this sort of competing. Ryan, it's all over the small
0: screen. You know, we have third season of only murders in the building. The after we just finished season two. I mean, that whole, I I think we're shortly away from them like bringing back murder. She wrote or cool or something. Yeah.
1: But the thing is is so far, I would say like only murders in the building and the Ryan Johnson who done it's They're about, they're about intellect, cleverness and wit. And there are some things to be gleaned in meaning and humane, but these movies, these are about humanity and, and, and morality and, like if these were handled in a way that treated these subjects as real human subjects and not theatrical set pieces, this could be a worthwhile, unique, standing series that I would really like to see continue to explore different subjects. So, um,
0: like Arthur Conan Doyle, Agatha Christie has plenty of books for them to mine. Yeah. For. So, i I think we will see more, and it'll be.
1: I'm I we will get it. at least one more. You know yeah they seem to do well enough uh, commercially and this one just has just enough critical favor that I think the the it's gonna have like a home video following I think mm. because it kind of it kind of hits that um like ghost story like genre film group and that's not necessarily what you're gonna bring your kids to to go see in the theater. So you don't get the family box office pull that you get. But then everyone who watches the movie like alone on their own or buys physical media and whatnot, that group of people is going to respond to this movie on the digital and home video releases. And so I think this is going to survive enough to warrant a fourth one. Um, We'll see.
0: Well, that's going to do it for us uh, this week. Uh, Next week, we will uh, take a look at the stock market, as I believe dumb money is what comes out next week. Unless I lost my place. Yeah. You know, I know a lot about the stock market. No, I'm just kidding. I don't
1: know. Oh, yeah. We're experts. So definitely come back here for a functional analysis of how that entire GameStop short went. uh, And then we'll get into the movie.
0: But you know what? If you are uh, waiting to catch up with something in the meantime, Eric has brought back his TikTok movie reviews. He even has one for Murder on the Orient Express. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, Death on the Nile is coming out. I've already recorded it. And, and they're just like one minute movie reviews. You can find me at High Contrast FLM everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, you know, like, I don't know if there's some new thing already that I don't know about that's like <laughs> out there. Um, but you know, I used to do this, how I got started movie reviewing was on this app called Rizzle. And that's where I met Ricky, the guy who leads our whole thing. And, um, you know, TikTok is just like another step with that. And I don't don't have the time in my life to do long form projects or, or fully edited videos, but this voice, like you can get out on a different platform and, and, you know, like I can do a lot more creative, small one-shot things there. So follow me at High Contrast FLM, wherever. And if you came here because you saw something I pulled from there, thank you. Welcome. You must be one of the 200 people I currently have following me. And if you
0: came here to see if I would have an emotional breakdown as the Broncos lost another game, the game hasn't yet ended. So (laughs) jokes on you. Although... It certainly is looking like it's tracking toward emotional breakdown territory. It's okay. hold it Sean, together. If I was Sean Payton, I might just retire again after this game.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but that'll do it for this week. Uh, until next week, uh, I, you will find some reviews that I have for other streaming content and other movies that came out this week will drop Wednesday on the site. Otherwise, we will see you at the movies.